Hey everyone, you're listening to Cinema 5000. I am Mallory, your host. I'm back. Back from vacation, back from the hiatus of a couple weeks, because uh, I was gone, and uh, as I have mentioned, I am now back, and I have seen some movies. Um, it's been a bit. Let's talk about how much of a gap did I have from when I watched movies? Oh gosh. Um, I... Wow. Um, I went to uh, It Lives Inside, It Lives Inside, which I reviewed on the previous episode on September 4th. And then I didn't watch a new to me movie until September 13th. So that's almost 10 whole days with no new to me movie, though. Uh, I do have to mention that I, in the midst of that on a plane, did watch in full The NeverEnding Story, which I will discuss my feelings on in the next episode coming out soon, the rewatch recap episode that I do at the end of every quarter. But um, it is currently, well, this episode is being released on September 25th, and the next episode will be a week from this release date. So I believe that is October 2nd, if I'm correct. I could be wrong. Uh, but yeah, new month, uh, new quarter. Uh, lots of rewatches to discuss, but for now, let's talk about the 11 films I have recently seen. New to me movies, no rewatches, uh, some old stuff, and some newer stuff, some 2023 movies. In fact, I've got five 2023 films to discuss on this episode, which is, which is great. Uh, <laughs> some you may have heard of. <laughs> uh, let's start now with the movie that I watched on September, excuse me, September 13th. It is the movie Sleeping with the Enemy from 1991, directed by Joseph Rubin. The tagline is, self-defense is not murder, <laughs> which is really funny because that makes me think of like, other movies I've seen. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, story is like this. The uh, summary, rather. A young woman fakes her own death in an attempt to escape her nightmarish marriage, but discovers it is impossible to elude her controlling husband. So Julia Roberts is our main character in this film. She plays this woman named Laura, who then escapes her husband, Martin, who is the most exaggerated and ridiculous man I have seen in a movie in quite some time. And uh, unfortunately, the more horrifying things about the relationship that they have, the movie just doesn't really discuss. It like kind of glosses over. Uh, but there are some bits to their marriage that are like whoa, not cool, really disgusting and scary. Uh, but she, as I noted in the summary, fakes her own death in order to escape him. And then she goes away um, close to where her family is that she has been separated from for some time since this marriage began. But of course, her ex or not ex-husband, her husband, because obviously they didn't get divorced. She just faked her death. <laughs> her alleged widower husband <laughs> is hot on her trail to find her. Uh, this movie doesn't have a lot going for it, unfortunately. I was a little disappointed in the script and uh, how it didn't, 
didn't give her character, the main character Julie Roberts plays, a lot to work with. She was just kind of one note. She was just this woman who was terrified and just trying to live her life. There wasn't a lot about her background or her what she is as a person. And in general, I found the script for this to be pretty bare bones, pretty minimal. Filmmaking wasn't much to look at. And I can imagine in my head other movies that I've seen that are similar to this that have a lot more to say about this situation. I also thought it was funny that it was supposed to take place on like Cape Cod. And I'm like, that is not Cape Cod. <laughs> I've never been to Cape Cod, but that is not Cape Cod. Those are not Cape Cod beaches. Those are not Massachusetts beaches. Oh no. Uh, but um, while I did find this kind of disappointing, uh, I, I don't think it was that bad. It's a certain kind of 90s film with thrilling aspects to it and storytelling where... Uh, the woman is just trying to survive. Uh, it sort of reminded me of, um, well, it's not a 90s movie. I think that's like 2000, Double Jeopardy with Ashley Judd. <laughs> uh, different story, though, but still with a terrible husband. And um, what's the other one? It did remind me a little bit of a uh, single white female. That's a completely different story. But it goes in that same vein of like thriller drama movie. Um, but I feel like it just was kind of, it was missing the juice, missing the stuff that really made me go like, yes, get him or, you know, get away from that awful guy kind of thing. It just didn't deliver much on what it was for me, actually. Uh, so I only gave this one two stars. And the funny thing about this movie, uh, it is directed by Joseph Rubin and the awful husband reminded me so much of the main character in the movie of The Stepfather, who's played by Terry O'Quinn, the very terrible stepfather. And that's also directed by Joseph Rubin. Uh, so I would recommend, actually, you guys watch The Stepfather from 1987, directed by the same director, Joseph Rubin, instead of watching Sleeping with the Enemy, because Sleeping with the Enemy, like I said, I just don't, I don't care for it. But The Stepfather, I think, is really fun, really disturbing, has the goods, has those fun scenes where, like, shit's going down, and it's like, oh, no, get away, you know, it really... It has the juice. <laughs> What's the juice? It's scary men. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Sleeping with the Enemy, just not quite for me. Uh, I gave it two stars. It's from 1991, directed by Joseph Rubin, though I will say it did get me in the mood for like, you know, horror movies, thrillers. It's that time of year. And uh, I will be on a quest to watch more movies in that kind of vein where it's thrilling, it's scary and intense. Uh, something completely different now. It's The Romance of Estrella and Celadon from 2007, directed by Eric Romare. This is actually Eric Romare's last film. The tagline says, A Romarian Delight, Another Ritualized Romance. And here's the summary. It's kind of long on Letterboxd. In an enchanted forest back in the time of the Druids, the shepherd Celadon and his shepherdess Estrella share a pure and chaste love. Fooled by a suitor, Estrella dismisses Celadon, who throws himself into a river out of despair. She thinks he is dead, but he's been secretly rescued by some nymphs. Faithful to the promise he made to Estrella to never appear before her again, Celadon must overcome many obstacles to break the curse. Mad with love and despair, coveted by the nymphs, surrounded by rivals, and obliged to disguise himself as a woman to, to be near the one he loves— Will he manage to make himself known without breaking his oath? A romance filled with doubt, hazards, 
and Delicious Temptations. Now, that was very long. <laughs> but uh, for a movie that's a rumor film, I mean, it's, as I said, it's got that enchanted forest qualities to it and it is a fantasy and it is quite beautiful everybody in this movie is like so attractive and wearing wonderful flowy clothes that make them look like goddesses and gods and um yeah it's it's lovely though i wasn't a big fan of it it felt too obvious and slight and um as much as it was lush and lovely to look at it didn't really seem it didn't seem as like great compared to other Romare films and I love his movies so much and I love his stories uh, a lot of the uh, acting and scripting I, well how do I say it a lot of the storytelling in his movies is somehow it, it excuse me it's sometimes improvised so it's just like people got an outline and they sort of acted around that and then other films do have scripts but this is like kind of straightforward fantasy kind of stuff and um it's nice and it's um it's pretty as I said but it just didn't stick with me the way his other films have. And um, for his last film, um, it does kind of culminate in sort of the, you know, the general thing that he does really well that I enjoy anyway, where we have these people who are in love and maybe star-crossed and then things sort of work themselves out. And this is obviously more fantastical than, let's say, you know, 19, uh, how do we say, 1960s, 70s or even 80s, like France, or wherever his movies are taking place. I'm pretty sure most of them are France. But I, I didn't think this was a bad film. It's just, it's it's not a, light, light, not a lot to write home about, unfortunately, because it's that kind of familiar tale of, you know, people falling for each other, and, you know, stuff happens, but in a fantastical sense. But the romance of Estre and Céladon uh, from Eric Romare from 2007... I uh, gave it three stars. Uh, you can actually watch this movie now on Canopy, and this was one of the very last Netflix DVDs I got. I did send it back, though. I didn't keep it. I wasn't in love with the movie enough to keep it because um, <laughs> for Netflix DVD, and uh, now the fact that the business is ending on September 29th, they're letting you keep uh, the movies that you have if you don't feel like sending them back to get something else. So uh, before the service ends, I had actually signed up for the five disc at a time plan. So I have a couple movies uh, in this episode I'm talking about. I think there's only one one more in this episode. Yeah, that I did send back. And then I have some more coming tomorrow <laughs> so I'm like trying to figure out which movies do I want to see is like my last Netflix movies and so this was technically one of them uh but let's move on another romance film I was hoping this would do better than that one uh and be more impressionable and like you know like oh, swoon worthy whatever but it's A Room with a View from 1986 directed by James Ivory no tagline but the summary goes like this when Lucy Honeychurch and chaperone Charlotte Bartlett find themselves in Florence with rooms without views. How dare they find rooms without views for lovely ladies. Um, uh, fellow guests Mr. Emerson and son George step in to remedy the situation. Meeting the Emersons could change Lucy's life forever, but once back in England, how will her experiences in Tuscany affect her marriage plans? I wanted to really like this one, and I was just not that much of a fan. It was really too buttoned up and uptight for me. It wasn't as loose and free as far as, like, a whirlwind romance thing could have been. It just felt too structured, uh, which I was, like, 
I was hoping it wouldn't be like that because I've seen some movies directed by James Ivory, uh, like Remains of the Day. I think I've seen like half of Howard's End, but this really follows like the the story to a T. It's just very like you know people in rooms and the moments where it does get a little more how do I say it, romantic, um, are just too f- you for me. And I thought the characters were fine. It just, it didn't really hit the mark for me, though this is like the kind of movie where I could probably watch it again in a different mood and like totally fall in love with it, but maybe, maybe not. Uh, n- do you want to note that uh, this stars Helena Bonham Carter, Julian Sands, like great Julian Sands, Maggie Smith, and Daniel Day-Lewis. And I did really like Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> The most like buttoned up and just very by the book fiance a woman could ever have. <laughs> um, so while I wasn't the biggest fan of a room, a room uh, let me say it again, a room with a view, um, it's fine, it's all right. It's kind of I, when people talk about like stereotypical kind of British dramas, if there's any romance and you know people blah blah blah. This is kind of that kind of movie unfortunately but um yeah I did give it three stars I'm not saying it's bad it just when I watched it it was just yeah it just it just it wasn't it for me in that moment but it's not bad A Room with a View from 1986 directed by James Ivory and now a movie I did get from Netflix DVD that I can't even remember why I put this in my queue it's rich and famous from 1987 directed by Taylor Wong The tagline is, sometimes the only thing more important than family, dot, 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 is revenge. To pay off his debt as a gambler, a man drags his sister and stepbrother into a life of crime and a violent war between rival gang lords. Wasn't impressed with this one. Uh, It had some good moments in the action, but frankly, this was really forgettable as far as a crime drama actioner um it does go through different periods of time with this family and how like (sighs) things happen but i just found this like really not enjoyable uh the writing wasn't really bad but just the story was kind of typical crime boss things like you owe me money blah 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 and trying to get back and violence and i just didn't i didn't didn't vibe with it but um it had its moments it just like, I can't even remember, like, things that happened to anybody in this. Um, But one thing of note is that it does have chow yun fat. And maybe that's the reason I added this to my Netflix DVD queue. I just didn't, it didn't do anything for me. And that's too bad because, I mean, frankly, uh, like, is this Hong Kong cinema? Hong Kong cinema is something I have, like, never gotten into. And I really should because it just, it's a world of cinema that I could definitely get into. But I just know... It didn't really work for me. So Rich and Famous from 1987, directed by Taylor Wong. Uh, Has Taylor Wong done anything else I have seen? No, unfortunately, but um, that's that. Sent it back to Netflix. Just is not, mm, not for me. Uh, (laughs) I gave it two and a half stars. Uh, Two and a half stars for that rich and famous. And now, oh boy, it's a 2023 release. It's The Flash from 2023 directed by Andy Muschietti. Uh the tagline is worlds collide. When his attempt to save his family inadvertently alters the future, Barry Allen becomes trapped in a reality in which General Zod has returned and there are no superheroes to turn to in order to save the world that he is in and return to the future that he knows. 
Barry's only hope is to race for his life, but will making the ultimate sacrifice be enough to reset the future? As you may know, this movie stars Ezra Miller. Uh, it also has General Zod, which means it has Michael Shannon. And if it has Michael Shannon, that means it's also got people like Michael Keaton playing Batman. Um, Jeremy Irons playing Alfred. And he helps out the Flash. Um, this movie was a freaking bummer. It was just so ridiculous and not not good as far as a story. Like, I can watch a superhero movie. I'm not... I don't know, I've got another one I'm going to discuss in this episode. I'm not opposed to movies as long as they're interesting. But this entire movie was just a... <laughs> it was just a bad joke. Um... Nothing about Barry Allen is made interesting. Like, I don't really care about the family stuff. It's like, that's so typical. Like, of course, we're going to have this issue where something happened to his family. It's just like with Batman. I don't need to explain it. But the movie doesn't really want to say anything about him and make him interesting. It's just like, well, you altered the past, but you also altered the future, which means other people need to show up to support you because we just have no idea how to write a story around you as a character. And that's basically it. Uh, we do have Supergirl slash Kara show up and um, she's okay. Would have been interesting to have like more of a story around her. And then, yeah, as I mentioned, Batman, Bruce Wayne shows up and we also have a little cameo bit from um ben affleck as batman before everything gets messed up because the universes are all in a mess because of what happened the action in this was just so uninteresting and really not great and everything with general zod and michael shannon i was just like yeah i get it dude you gotta make you gotta make the money you got other things you need to do and uh he's got better films in his days ahead of course thanks to the paycheck he got on this one just a sad excuse for a movie it had nothing interesting going on it was just noise in the background it reminded me a lot of watching a transformers movie where it's just like noise 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 and you don't care enough about the characters and the story so it's just it's just happening in front of your face uh kind of like man i've said this i haven't said this in a long time but like watching somebody else play video games just a bad excuse for a film. Um, the effects also came and went as far as their quality. Um, I've seen better looking films. I've seen worse looking films. But for what this is, this is such a, this is such a, just such a sad excuse for a movie. It would have been more interesting if it was worse too. Uh, like really, really bad. Like had like really questionable motives and other than just, you know, oh God, multiverse shit, this and that blah 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 the flash i don't have anything else to say about it from 2023 by andy Mashketti. um yeah it's it's bad it's really bad it might be one of the worst movies i've seen this year um though there is some competition later in the episode <laughs> um but let's move on uh, let's go another 23 excuse me i need to like say my words another 2023 film um it's dumb money directed by craig gillespie I saw this um, just a week ago on um, the Regal Mystery Movie Night. I got a ticket. I went. I was expecting a number of different films because I knew it was going to be rated R. 
I didn't think they would show Dumb Money as a mystery movie because at that point it was already out limited in like New York and L.A. It's a weird strategy for releasing this one, but I understand how they're trying to circumvent the uh, writer's strike and the actor's strike to promote the film and get word of mouth out there. And I guess this weekend it did okay on like 600 screens. Uh, my local Regal um, did get it this Friday. So I guess we're in that like that window of like having like a, you know, more bigger market. I, so to speak, I no, not really, but, um, <laughs> but dumb money. Uh, the tagline is when the game was rigged, they changed the rules. Internet commenter Keith Gill sinks his life savings into GameStop stock and posts about it. When his social posts start blowing up, so do his life and the lives of everyone following him. As stock, a stock tip becomes a movement, everyone gets rich until the billionaires fight back and both sides find their worlds turned upside down. I was very hopeful that this would be a flashy, fun kind of movie that like takes the sort of storytelling and momentum that like a film like The Social Network had and like really enjoyed like being flashy and cool and no this was actually shockingly flat for me as far as its storytelling um its characters weren't very interesting a couple of them i really wanted to see more from and their motivations and their life and the impact of this um also another movie this sort of reminded me of is um boiler room do you guys remember boiler room boiler room was like a thing back in the day if you haven't seen boiler room i would recommend that instead of dumb money but anyway uh paul dano plays keith gill he's not really not really interesting he's just he's just this dude um his brother kevin is played by pete davidson and literally brings like the only how do i say it <sighs> like He's like he comes on screen and you're excited to see him like the only pulse, I guess you could say, because this just felt so flat to me. Um, America Ferrer plays a nurse who's, you know, getting into the stuff that Keith is talking about. And then there's some college students. But then we have the other side where we've got uh, people like Seth Rogen, who's playing Gabe Block and who's um, one of those investors who has bet against that stock and its success then makes him lose money. So we've got Vincent D'Onofrio, Nick Offerman playing these other investor dudes. And like, it just doesn't, it doesn't do much. Like we don't get to know these people well. It's like everybody sort of exists in their own little bubble, but every bubble doesn't necessarily interact in a way that is exciting or interesting. And for a movie that is like over 90 minutes, it's 104 minutes long. Um, It just sort of moves at a pace that is like kind of, kind of expected like there's nothing nothing good about this and I noticed some funny things about the cinematography too uh that were very um very much a ripoff of like things that Fincher does when he shows like items and things and then like uh oh, at least the cinematographers cinematographers Fincher has worked in the past specifically the one he worked with on the social network um some of the beats were trying to rip him off and I could see it coming and also the score for this wasn't really great uh I, uh, I was like not, I was not impressed with this movie. I wanted to like it. I was excited for it to like show me something, like be fun, how it talks about the internet and Keith's life. And it just didn't, it didn't really have the goods. It felt like a flat, like rush job of a film. And uh, it's weird because the script itself 
was and wasn't the weak point, but the direction most certainly was. Like, I don't think Craig Gillespie brought anything to this movie. And he's a filmmaker who, even though I haven't liked some of his movies, I don't like I, Tanya, I don't like Lars and the Real Girl. The movies I have liked that he has made, Cruella and Fright Night, have like a very distinct feel that I think is successful. And none of that's here. It just feels, again, like he's aping other filmmakers and not really giving us a unique take and it's it, this is something that could have been could have been new and cool and it just felt kind of like it leaned too much in the to the dramatic aspect and forgot about the audience forgot like how we want to see an exciting film about people succeeding and another thing uh for a movie that takes place during the times of COVID-19 and yes people wear masks in this and so you should expect sort of certain behaviors that maybe people aren't doing these days and how people you know interacted because of the world and the way it was um it would have been very very easy for this movie to say things about people's behaviors and wanting to find some kind of success and fulfillment in a bleak world and it didn't really want to do that like it barely touched on that through america ferrera's character um and i would have loved to have seen that kind of take on this material but no i just played it kind of straight kind of flat maybe leaning a little bit into dramatics and it's not really funny it's it's a movie that wants to be funny it's not funny um so dumb money from 2023 directed by craig gillespie like i've already kind of forgotten about this one and frankly the commercials look make it look better than what it is if you are into that kind of thing um so yeah now it's going wide this coming weekend um the 29th and yeah i guess see it if that's what you're into but for me it's just not it's just not it two and a half stars for me for dumb money a movie that is also from 2023 it's blue beetle directed by angel manuel soto the tagline is, Jaime Reyes is a superhero, whether he likes it or not. Recent college grad Jaime Reyes returns home full of aspirations for his future, only to find that home is not quite as he left it. As he searches to find his purpose in the world, fate intervenes when Jaime unexpectedly finds himself in possession of an ancient relic of an alien biotechnology, the Scarab. Uh, this is very much like origin story kind of superhero filmmaking. Originally, Blue Beetle was going to be on HBO Max, and then I think uh, when production was going on and they started to show like, H well, not HBO necessarily, Warner Brothers, um, some of the footage for the film, it's like they bumped it up to be a full theatrical release. So you might be like, you know, what's the reason why are we getting a Blue Beetle movie now? Uh, it's because they have a slate to fill and they want to release movies, I guess you could say. But all in all, um, what Blue Beetle is as a film, just a beginning kind of superhero figuring out the way through the world and trying to help his family, I, I found it pretty enjoyable. Uh, there's a number of people in this film that I recognize, specifically George Lopez. I mean, Susan Sarandon's in this movie as the evil Victoria Court. <laughs> and then we have Adriana Barraza as uh, the grandmother, um, Nana. She, I don't know if you guys remember, but she was nominated for an Academy Award as Best Supporting Actress for the film Babel. Uh, many years ago, which is directed by Alejandro Gonzalez Inaritu. Um, but I needed more of her. Some of the supporting characters I felt like could have had some more going on. It would have been interesting to see 
Oh, just a little more backstory about the family. Like we just get a general sense that they're a working class family. But um, I, I'm not saying the movie needs to be longer because it is like two hours and seven minutes long. But uh, just a little more about the family because they were so enjoyable and fun to be around in this film, uh, especially compared to the just basically like only bad person in the film who is Susan Sarandon, the evil Susan Sarandon as Victoria Cord. Now, granted, even though this is a movie that just has basically one person who is the symbol of evil corporateness and uh, military industrial policing, uh, Susan Sarandon is really fantastic as the bad guy. Like every line delivery she gives, she is great. And I'm not saying she's the best person in the cast, but I'm saying for a movie that, you know, seemingly is about a superhero that we all are not too familiar with and has someone like Susan Sarandon in, she's well cast. Like she does her job. She does good enough and, um, is what this movie kind of needs to, because she's just such a, how do I say it? <laughs> um, she wants to basically RoboCop the entire police force in the area. And, um, <laughs> she's bad, <laughs> but I enjoyed her. I enjoyed this cast, uh, Zolo, uh, Maraduena as, uh, Jaime Reyes. I liked him. He was fun. His counterpart, Bruno, Bruno, excuse me, Bruna Marquezine as, uh, Jennifer Korn, who is related to Susan Sarandon's character, Victoria. I liked her too. Uh, this was fun. This was a good movie. I was not expecting to love this. I, I'm not saying I love it, but I'm not, I guess I went into this kind of skeptical because of the fact that I know that this was not originally supposed to be a big theatrical film. And I just plain and simple don't know much about Blue Beetle as it's existed outside of this movie. And I don't think m many people do either, but for a movie that's like, you know, I just watched The Flash and I didn't really like it at all. And I was asking so many questions of like why we had to do a movie like this. This just plays it straight. This is just an origin kind of film about this new character. It's two hours. You have fun. You have some laughs along the way. Um, there's some heartbreaking things in this film too. Like there's stakes happening here and it was a good time. Now I will say I was not impressed with the projection at my local Regal Cinemas. The movie kind of looked not so great. I don't know if that's just them or the quality of how this movie was made because I know it was not very expensive as far as the big picture how much the superhero films cost. It was like under a hundred million dollars. You might be like, oh my gosh, a hundred million dollars, you know, that's a lot of money. But when it comes to movies that are very uh, CGI intensive, visual effects, they, they cost a lot of money and a uh, hundred million dollars is not a lot. But uh, The Flash was like 200 million. This, I, I'm just really curious, like, does this, this look really good on Blu-ray? I bet it does. Because, man, did my Regal cinemas look bad. Then <laughs> uh, <laughs> again, I don't go to Regal because of the quality of the screen, but I don't know. It's just, it's kind of the only game in town. But uh, regardless, I found a lot to like about Blue Beetle. Uh, I was not expecting to say that. Good score. Also, good editing. <sighs> Am I saying this is the best superhero movie of the year? I don't know. Um, <laughs> is it early? I don't know. What's coming out? I know Marvels is coming out later this year. Um, Marvels is a different game, though. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. 
I'm just saying Blue Beetle is fun. It's a good time. Oh, yeah. Aquaman's coming out this year. Is it still coming out? I don't know. I'll believe it when it's in the theater. I'm just, I'm skeptical because of the fact that, like, man, Aquaman. I liked the first one, but it took a long time for that trailer to come out. But anyway, um, yeah, Blue Beetle. For me, that is three stars. It is directed by Aniel uh, Manuel Soto, and it should be coming to HBO Max soon. It's actually still playing in my Regal Cinemas too this week. I saw it last week thinking, oh yeah, it's going to be gone. No, it's still there. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, next movie from 2009. It is Zombieland, directed by Ruben Fleischer. The tagline is, nut up or shut up. Columbus has made a habit of running from what scares him. Tallahassee doesn't have any fears. If he did, he'd kick their ever-living ass. In a world overrun by zombies, these two are perfectly evolved survivors. But now, they're about to stare down the most terrifying prospect of all each other. Now, you may be curious, why do we have these characters called Columbus and Tallahassee? Well, that's because that's where they're from. The character uh, Tallahassee is played by Woody Harrelson. Jesse Eisenberg plays Columbus. Wonderful. And they later meet up with Emma Stone and Abigail Breslin, who play Wichita and Little Rock. Wow. Um, (laughs) I have mixed feelings about this movie. Um, There is a certain dated quality to this humor now. Uh, It's humor I don't necessarily enjoy. Um, It felt like ancient, the way this movie like talked about things and humor. Um, And also Jesse Eisenberg is like, oh man, his character is like bordering, bordering on incel in this movie. It's like really... Oh, it's really sad. Like, you would absolutely not make a movie like this today about a character like him. It'd be so much different. Um, <laughs> um, I didn't I didn't mind this, though. Like, it, it was... Maybe it's the nostalgia speaking, but <laughs> even though the humor didn't work, um, I didn't mind the setup of just these people on the run because it's literally just, like, four characters because <laughs> everybody else they meet along the way dies um which is funny because i'm looking at the letterbox and it looks like it has a cast it's like oh yeah most of these people are just in like one scene like girl on a phone cardio zombie uh a <laughs> little bit part by mike white um and as a movie that has only maybe four main characters and that's about it that's also its weakness uh the story felt really slight to me it's really just well we got to get away from the zombies and uh we're just kind of on the road and we want to get somewhere so we got to get somewhere okay we're gonna get to that place okay more zombies and we got to defeat the zombies okay end movie that's it uh (laughs) it was 88 minutes according to a letterbox and i'm pretty sure when the uh blu-ray that i had that i had like from a random uh, bull moose grab bags. Shout out to the grab bags. I love them. I buy them a lot. Um, and I get a lot of random movies like this. Um, (laughs) it literally ended at like 82 minutes. It is a very, very slight, slight movie. Um, it's not bad. It's not great. Uh, the zombie stuff I think is done pretty well as far as how the look of the zombies is. Um, I, I am so hit or miss with Woody Harrelson. Like he's been playing this character for, 
I don't know how many years since the beginning of time. <laughs> um, Jesse Eisenberg, I don't like him. Emma Stone, I like her in pretty much everything. Um, Abigail Breslin, I mean, she's she doesn't have a lot to work with here. She's just playing counterpart to Emma Stone. So, you know, stuff happens to the girls. They get in trouble and they got to get saved by the guys. But one thing I got to shout out, I mean, this movie's been out for a while. It came out 14 years ago. Okay. I liked the Bill Murray sequence. That was fun. That was where the movie had an idea and enjoyed itself. And I really appreciated that about it. Because uh, otherwise, it's just, we're just trying to get away from zombies. But no, this like took a, you know, took an idea of what if we ran into Bill Murray and he was trying to survive as the zombies are around and he is living. So there's that. But Zombieland, yeah, this was just kind of a push and pull kind of thing for me. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I gave it two and a half stars. Uh, I know it has a sequel. I don't know if I want to watch the sequel because it's still got Jesse Eisenberg in it. I don't like him. Um, <laughs> maybe one day, maybe sometime I'll watch it. I mean, it also is like, we're coming into spooky season, Halloween, blah, blah, blah. And it's zombies. So I, maybe I'll watch it soon. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but Zombieland from 2009, directed by Ruben Fleischer. And I just think it's so funny that Ruben Fleischer has now gone on to direct movies such as Venom, <laughs> um, Zombieland, Double Tap, the sequel. And then things like Uncharted. Oh my gosh. I have not seen that. I will not see that. He also did the movie Gangster, excuse me, Gangster Squad with Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. I've never seen that. I've never heard anything good about it. Do I feel tempted to watch that maybe? I think I actually got that in a grab bag. <laughs> also, the movie 30 Minutes or Less. I, I don't know if I saw this movie. I might have shut it off, like thought it was really bad, but Jesse Eisenberg again. So no, no Jesse Eisenberg for me. Um, <laughs> let's move on. Another 2023 film. It's Blackberry, directed by Matt Johnson. The tagline is, work hard, fail hard. Two mismatched entrepreneurs, egghead innovator Mike Lazaridis and cutthroat businessman Jim Basile, join forces in an endeavor that was to become a worldwide hit in little more than a decade. The story of the meteoric rise and catastrophic catastrophic demise of the world's first smartphone. So this stars Jay Baruchel as Mike Lazaridis and Glenn Howerton as Jim Basile and did I say it right? Jim Basile? I don't know. Um, I was like prepared for this to be like sort of a bare bones uh, historical tech moment kind of film where it's like mostly just conference rooms and not with a lot of bite. I really like this movie. This movie had a really good perspective in talking about technology, how engineers think and how people work when it comes to how do you, how do you make like the thing that you want to make and how do you make it do it and how do you convey how it does it to like a pitch, an individual who might be interested in it. Um, I work in technology in my day job. So <laughs> when somebody wants something, they want it to do certain things. Yes, I'm familiar with that. But I also, <laughs> I have sold BlackBerry um, technology before, <laughs> which was kind of funny because it was at the end of the ropes for BlackBerry. So at the point I was selling BlackBerry, it wasn't people wanting to buy the devices. It was some of the uh, software that they offered for communications. And that's something that BlackBerry's 
technology, its communications when it first came out was like groundbreaking. You might think to yourself, oh, well, that's nothing. But this movie does a really, really good job of talking about how and why BlackBerry, when it came out, was groundbreaking because it talks about the difference between blackberry's closed messaging as opposed to texting and what it does to network capacity and usage um i found this to be so much fun and it's weird i can't really (laughs) i can't really talk about the things that make it so great beyond what i just said because so much of this lies in the performances and how it conveys the struggle of selling technology and the competition like that's just something you have to watch i like highly highly recommend this movie um i've been thinking about maybe watching it again soon maybe i'd buy it just because technology movies that i've seen in recent times um let's set aside like the social network and like the dumb money thing that's not necessarily the technology i'm talking about um the physical technology stuff and also how tech works when you're trying to position it um i'm thinking off the top of my head like the steve jobs movie i just really hated that movie i hated how it talked about technology i didn't like how the performances sort of drove it drove it and also um wasn't a big fan of some of the performances though shout out to kate winslet i thought she was great in that um i think i think this movie like is as close as you can get to making like a sort of narrative documentary without but it's not a documentary clearly clearly but um just the way it does it it feels like so i don't want to say real it feels right like how this movie goes about talking about the technology blackberry offered um and how research in motion sort of operated as a company um i'm not to gush about this but i mean i i don't think this is a perfect movie i gave it three and a half stars but there's so much this movie does understand about how technology is sold and marketed and um, how things work and how they don't work that I found really successful and like I was happy to see it in a movie and I was so prepared for this movie not to do that <laughs> and it did it so I uh, I do applaud Blackberry um, from 2023 directed by Matt Johnson um, I strongly recommend this and like I said I can't give it like four stars because um, <laughs> as much as I enjoyed it it's like there were things about it that I didn't think were perfect necessarily but I wonder if I watched it again would those things even matter to me because uh, you know there's things you might see in a film and your brain goes oh that's not necessarily successful blah 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 but um yeah it's it's a it's a special kind of film because it succeeds in ways ways that i think many movies struggle to do when it comes to talking about technology so there's that yeah blackberry i uh, i recommend it in fact i think that's the only movie <laughs> is that the only movie i'm recommending on this episode besides blue beetle oh no i'm gonna have to look at my diary uh to make sure uh though i was mixed on uh zombie land it's okay um <laughs> uh no i did recommend a room with a view and the romance of Estrella and celadon so you know whatever but blackberry is the one you should probably check out anyway <laughs> above all uh especially for 2023 films um but you can rent it it's like a digital rental right now it's out there i won't be surprised if this goes on a streaming service sometime soon anywhere you can think i i don't know what studio this is i have no idea i know it's a smaller film so let me look really quick and see if i can assess that from the imdb I cannot. It looks like it is by Rhombus Meter and Zapruder Films. Um, it is a Canadian film as well. But um, 
successful nonetheless. Um, yeah, you can rent it. $4, $6, whatever. Blackberry. I, I do recommend it. Uh, <laughs> and now to close out the episode, a couple more movies I don't like. Oh no. Um, <laughs> let's quickly talk about My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 from 2023, directed by Mia, Nia Vardalos and starring Nia Vardalos. Um, it's the tagline is it's more than a journey. It's more than a promise. It's the event that brings everyone together. The Portokalos family travels to Greece for a family reunion. Reunion That is literally the summary. And of course, there's a wedding. I'm not going to tell you about the wedding because the wedding doesn't matter. It's so irrelevant to the movie. Basically, the Portokalos family shows up to Greece, which is allegedly the town in Greece that the father, the head of the family, grew up in. And uh, Tula wants to deliver this book that is her father's notes to his friends that he grew up with now that he has passed. And so hijinks ensue, trying to get that to work. Not enough Andrea Martin whatsoever. I love her as, um, oh gosh, Aunt Vula. I will be your favorite. I love her. She's so funny. She's barely in this movie. It's so devastating. And then they've got their daughter, Paris, and I hate that character. It's so obnoxious. Like, she's not interesting. No, 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 no. It's like, should have left the daughter home. And then you've got Tula's brother and him. I don't understand why, but there were multiple times it was suggested he was naked and other people were naked. Um, I say suggested, like people holding objects in front of their, you know, private parts and stuff. It happened multiple times. Why? Why did we do this? This movie is rated PG and they still did that. Um... <laughs> I don't want to talk about this anymore. This movie was just not good at all. I gave it one and a half stars, like grown bad. Uh, what else is, what else is there anything I should say about it? Um, I literally just like watching this movie was just like, oh, well, they all got to go to Greece and have a nice time. And then occasionally you have these moments where John Corbett and Nia Vardalos are just like hanging out, having couple time together because they're all stressed out in between like all the chaos and other crap that was going on. This was just a bad movie. It's so bad. I I don't understand. I don't understand this story. I don't understand why this movie was like this. It was just bad. It was bad. It was bad. I am not <laughs> I am not saying it is the worst movie of the year though. Um the worst movie of the year is Mafia Mama, which I did grade this against. I thought to myself, okay, Mallory, listen, Mafia Mama is the worst movie of the year. How is this movie compared to that? Well, this movie did have Andrea Martin, which is a huge plus. She's barely in it, though. Um, <laughs> it looks better than Mafia Mama. Like, they clearly had the eye for the Greek, Greek landscapes. Second unit photography made it look nice, made you want to go there. Um, this was shorter the Mafia Mama, I think. It's like literally just 90 minutes. It's it's nothing. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. <laughs> that's what made it better than Mafia Mama. So it's not the worst movie of the year, but My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 is bad. I don't recommend it. And let's close out the episode with another movie I sadly don't recommend. It's Cobweb from 2023, directed by Samuel Bowden. The tagline is, sooner or later, family secrets creep out. Eight-year-old Peter is plagued by a mysterious constant tapping 
tap, 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 from inside his bedroom wall. One that his parents assist is all in his imagination. As Peter's fear intensifies, he believes that his parents could be hiding a terrible, dangerous secret and questions their trust. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, for starters, I didn't really care for the setup of this, of how this young boy, Peter, um, <laughs> hears this tapping and thinks that the uh, voice in the walls is like his sister and what's happening. I don't under I didn't understand why it just all of a sudden happened like one day. It was not a, not a good concept. And then uh, most of what happens in this movie is this boy versus his parents who are acting really crazy and nuts. And uh, I didn't really like it. <laughs> it just felt like uh, it just felt like there were a couple things going on in this movie and they kind of were at odds with each other. Now, Lizzie Kaplan, excuse me, Lizzie Kaplan and Anthony Starr play the parents to young Peter and they're just ridiculous. <laughs> like ridiculous, scary parents. And it's not even okay. It's not even a thing where it's just like the little boy thinking that he's seeing them in a certain way and they're not really like that. No, they're like that. It just didn't make any sense to me why they would behave in that way. Um, <laughs> and so he's at school one day and poor little Peter is, you know, drawing things that makes his teacher question, you know, what's going on in his home life. And of course the teacher shows up and she wants to help him out. And you kind of know where this is going. And the thing that happens in the end that's been causing all the problems. I'm not going to spoil this because I know some people out there probably want to see this movie. Um, the thing that happens is just dumb. And another problem, I think a good 60% of this movie is so dark that you can't see shit that's going on. It's like they they just didn't want to show you what was happening and I had all the lights off so it wasn't a matter of my TV not looking good and I also have a plasma which brings up like really it's it's high quality shit. Um it just looks it was it was ridiculous. I I can't believe the movie like this is so stupidly dark and like I can't see anything that's going on and there were times where I was just like I'm supposed to feel something for this kid when I don't I don't even know what he's experiencing right now I can't see anything uh this is a very short movie it was 88 minutes it probably is about 84 minutes when it comes to the credits and when they rolled um I hate these movies like this where you've got these ideas and you're trying to set up family stuff and the payoff is just, well, there's creepy shit going on. And it's creepy shit that we've kind of seen in other films and it's not it's not a new idea. It's just another thing that we've all seen before. And it's called Cobweb, so yeah, okay. <sighs> I'm just tired of modern horror and how nobody has any good ideas and how to portray certain things and it's just the same thing I've seen before. Um, we deserve better, <laughs> um, especially since like, I, I know this is like a low budget film and it feels low budget in the worst ways. There's so many ways you can, I mean, think about the movies that were from like the seventies and eighties. None of those movies had big budgets and they were all terrifying and disgusting, but movies like this, they don't want to show you shit. It's just like darkness and fear and family problems. And I'm tired of family shit. I'm so, so tired of it. Um, family trauma and problems. And also there was something else that happened in this movie and it didn't explain it. At, like it, it just, 
no. What was the point of that? I'm not going to say anymore because it's not worth my time. But Cobweb from 2023, directed by Samuel Bowden, gets one and a half stars from me. I'm pretty sure this is going to be on Hulu soon. I'm thinking I've heard that. But um, no, I do not recommend it. Uh, but yeah, that is the episode. That is all the movies. As I do believe I said <laughs> at the beginning of the episode, we're at 5,294 films. And the next episode is the rewatch recap episode where I talk about all the films I have seen before in the last three months and what I thought about them on the second, third, fourth time, whatever. <laughs> and spoiler, yes, I did see Barbie multiple times, so I have multiple opinions on Barbie and the different times I saw it. Um, but uh, coming soon, as far as episodes go, I am going to be talking more new 2023 films, as well as maybe some horror films here and there. It is spooky season, as they say. Um, one thing on tap that I am... 1000% doing because I've already bought my ticket is I'm going to the uh, Coolidge Corner Theater Horror Marathon that takes place every year at the Coolidge Corner Theater in Brooklyn, Massachusetts. The theme this year is witches. So they've already said the films that they are going to be definitely showing at the start, which is Rosemary's Baby and then Suspiria and then The Blair Witch Project. And they did show an image the other day because they do this on the Facebook uh, of the craft so I know they're gonna be showing the craft and they show all movies on film and it's a 12-hour marathon I'm just curious if there's gonna be anything I haven't seen before I'm really hoping they show something I've never heard of it's a witch movie which would be awesome but I um, I'm so looking forward to that at the end of the month <laughs> um, but if there's only movies I've seen before, you won't hear about any of them until the rewatch recap episode, unless I mention it. And I think I might mention it just as far as movie goings on and what I've seen. But um, yeah, with spooky season happening, I'm always looking for new films to see that are horror, whether I like them or not. Like I was going to see Cobweb regardless of, you know, if some people I follow liked it or not. It looks like it's kind of mixed among my friends on Letterboxd, which doesn't surprise me because it doesn't it doesn't work for me and it's a certain kind of thing like I said that I've seen in horror in recent years um but I uh yeah I uh I'm curious about what other kinds of horror films I can find on Tubi uh what hasn't come out yet or will be released on like iTunes I'm not even sure uh I am going to be seeing The Exorcist Believer <laughs> I am dreading how bad it is going to be, though. I don't know how to feel about you, Mr. David Dor David Gordon Green. He's the director. He made, I mean, the recent Halloween films. And I only liked, well, actually, I liked two out of three of them that he did. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> um, but it's just, it's a, it's a curious, it's a curious case of what exactly is going on with the exorcist in the hands of someone like a david gordon green but movies coming out soon i am quickly looking at box office mojo because they have a wonderful release calendar that i do look at uh often to see what's still sticking around in theaters um it looks like cat person is coming out oh that's right i have a regal mystery movie i'm going to on the 9th and i'm thinking that's actually going to be cat person which I have no idea how I feel about the story as I read it online before it became a movie, um, <laughs> but I'm interested in the film. Um, it looks like it's a 
drama comedy dating horror story thing so we'll see um and uh i do have to say that for october yes indeed i did buy a ticket to taylor swift the heiress tour because that is the movie event of october that does not feature leonardo dicaprio and <laughs> directed by martin scorsese um so uh taylor swift heiress tour killers of the flower moon those are the movies i'm looking forward to in october besides cat person um and uh the exorcist believer for better or worse um and i guess i'll see five nights at freddy's i don't know too much about it i've never played the game but uh yeah wouldn't hurt i gotta go see movies in the theater you know talk about them whatever uh but i guess that's the episode and those are the things that are coming soon but next episode as i said is going to be the rewatch recap episode which you can look forward to on whatever a week from <laughs> what what's a week from today oh is a week from today the, is the, is it the second is that that is a monday i guess it is um october 2nd i guess you could say is the next episode and i will talk to you then again this is mallory thank you so much for listening to the episode you can follow along on twitter and instagram a handle is there uh it is the handle is cinema 5k and if you want to send an email send an email to cinema 5k pod at gmail.com thank you so much for listening and i will talk to you later bye